invite you to remain standing, but reach for your Bible this morning for our scripture reading. We stand in honor of God's word and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. So we'll be reading Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one of our pew Bibles right in front of you. Turn to Galatians. Once again, Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10, as Pastor Bruce continues in the series on rediscovering the church. Today we're going to use Galatians as our as our text, as we look into church discipline today, as the topic for uh, for the sermon. So follow along as I read Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, the, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he declares himself, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, just for this series that Pastor Bruce has been taking us through and rediscovering the church. Just thank you for your word and its teachings, and just thank you for our uh, body here at LifeBridge. Be with us this morning. Be with Pastor Bruce. Give him wisdom and the words to say. We thank you for his preparation this week. May we have open hearts and minds uh, to just to receive uh, and learn what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to keep your Bibles open, whether it's a paper version or digital copy of the Scriptures, as we will be looking at several different passages here in this sermon on church discipline as we rediscover the church. In fact, uh, as I say that phrase, church discipline, that topic may even startle some of you. In fact, that phrase may even make some of you feel uneasy. So I give this warning, if you will, from the very beginning, that everything we're going to see today in God's Word concerning church discipline goes against the grain of the way we all here are wired in our human fallen nature. Plus, you add to that, we live in a culture where it is offensive to say that a particular belief is wrong. In fact, it's even more offensive to tell someone that what they are doing is wrong. After all, who do you think you are? Our culture says that love never judges. Love sets people free. It's the the final trump card. It is the ultimate justification for doing whatever you want to do in life. And so in our culture in which we live in now, love is the one non-negotiable law of the land. The world, though, does not believe necessarily that God is love. Rather, the world believes that love is a God. It's a God in which our world serves. It's a God in which our world idolizes love. The problem is the world's definition, our culture's definition of love is totally different than how the Bible portrays love. As a result of all of this, as a result of being squeezed by our culture, oftentimes many Christians in the church have now convinced themselves that it is, quote, loving to sit back and to say someone else's sin is their business. It's their life. What someone else does is, after all, it's between them and the Lord. Who am I to step in and say anything? Now, on the surface, that rather sounds quite spiritual, does it not? On the surface, in fact, the world, that seems good to them. They would agree that is proper and good. But I want to show you this morning from God's Word, that that kind of thinking is anything but loving and biblical. What I want to do this morning 
is I want to answer two simple questions when it comes to church discipline. The first question is, is it really loving? And the second question is, is it really biblical? And in doing so, I just want to give us a, a theological framework for this topic, this function of the church, church discipline, which means that we only have time to really focus on the what of church discipline, the why of church discipline, and not the how of church discipline. Therefore, what I mean by that is we're going to look at more of the purpose of it and not the process of it. And so with that in mind, here's the key question. Here's the overall way I want us to frame this discussion from God's Word this morning on this topic as we rediscover church discipline. And that is this. How much do we really love one another? Do we really love one another? And what I want you to see from God's Word here this morning is this. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. If we really, truly love one another in the church, then we, we here as the body of Christ, we will humbly share responsibility for one another's holiness in our lives. In other words, being a member in the church means helping one another to follow Jesus Christ. It means helping one another know Christ, grow in Christ, show Christ, and go with Christ. That's what means being a member in the church. And of course, this also means that church discipline is directly connected to a biblical understanding of church membership. You might remember God in our, our previous series on re-engaging the church. We learned that God has established the church to to reflect his character, his wisdom, his glory in the midst of this fallen world in which we live. God loves his church. In fact, he loves it so much. What did he do for the church? He, he sent his own son to die for the church. And in God's glorious design, the church is made up of people who now have been redeemed from sin by the grace of Jesus Christ through their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, that does not mean, though, that the church or that God expects the church to be made up of, quote, perfect people. Aren't you thankful for that? I know I am, because you don't have a perfect pastor that stands before you Sunday after Sunday. Listen, God knows that the church, not just our church, but all churches across the world here, are filled with Christians who are very sin-prone. And there are times... When Satan attacks the church, there are times when members of the church struggle with sin and even live in unrepentant sin. So what then? Should we just ignore sin? Should we just walk away from a struggling brother or sister in Christ who is part of our community and the answer is no, because if we truly love one another, then we will humbly engage that person with the hope of rescuing them from their sin. In fact, one pastor called church discipline is really nothing more than a rescue operation. It's a rescue operation from sin. This is what Paul is calling us to here in Galatians chapter 6, and specifically here in verse 1, when he says to you, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now let this sink in. Let the word of God sink into your own hearts and minds, because when Paul says brothers, he is not speaking just to males, he is speaking to all the church, everyone in the church. He's speaking to us like we belong to a family. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And when Paul says if anyone is caught in any transgression, the implication is that a brother or sister is 
caught in sin. In other words, he's continuing in sin, or she is continuing sin. They're not turning away from sin. They're not repenting of sin. Why? Because they are caught in it. And when Paul says, you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean he's only picking out the super spiritual Christians in the church. You've got to remember, this comes after chapter 5 of Galatians, where chapter 5 is all about, where Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And those who walk by the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to those who are walking by their flesh. And so the spiritual here means those who are not perfectly, but are walking by the fruit of the Spirit. And what does Paul call us to do? He says we should work now to restore such a person. That is, we, we, we engage with him and help him or her to turn back to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we are to do this in a spirit of gentleness or a spirit of humility, not in a spirit of pride, certainly not in self-righteousness. This is why Paul says in the rest of verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. In fact, in verse 2, Paul even tells us that this is what we do in verse 1 He says in verse 2, this is one way we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Which means there's a flip side to that, and the flip side should be rather obvious to us. And that is refusing to confront brothers or sisters in their sin is to forsake the law of Christ. In other words, it's unloving on our part. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase church discipline. I'm sure there are a variety of things that come to people's minds even here. Some not so good, probably. In fact, the majority of what comes to your mind is probably negative in nature. Which is why I want to try to implore upon you, encourage you, that when you hear this phrase church discipline, to think about it on two different levels. One, that it is loving, and two, it's biblical. What what we need, because we live in a culture where this goes against the grain of our culture, it goes against the grain of our human nature, and we are squeezed by the culture so much, the influences of our culture, we have to realign our thinking as Christ followers. And so here's the foundation of this. We need to think in terms of church discipline that it is loving and it is biblical. And so if you leave here with nothing more, leave here with that. So therefore, the next time you hear this phrase, this term church discipline, you don't think negative of it, but you think, you know what, that's biblical. And it's loving. Church discipline is what? First of all, it is what? It's loving And second of all, it's biblical. Let that ingrain within you, burn within you. You embrace that as the foundation, as the framework for this function of the church. It is biblical. It is loving. So let's unpack that. What do we mean by that? Let me show you this. Church discipline, number one, it's biblical. In fact, it's interesting, if you do a study from Genesis to Revelation, you go all the way back to Genesis 1, and you see that from the time of creation, instruction and discipline has been given to God's people. Listen, from our very first instruction from God Almighty as the Creator to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, to our first disobedience and correction in Genesis 3, discipline has been woven into the story of humanity. This theme of instruction, disobedience, and then discipline, it continues on in humanity throughout the rest of Scripture. Listen, the Torah or the Septuagint, the first five books of the Bible, commands it. The historical books display it. The wisdom books affirm it. And the prophets deliver it. The book of Proverbs even speaks of discipline this way in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, where it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. 
as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 6.23 adds this insight about discipline. For the commandment is a lamp in the teaching, a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This theme of discipline, it does not end just in the Old Testament. It continues on into the New Testament. For example, Paul writes in Titus 3, 10 and 11, as for a person who stirs up division in the church after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother or a sister in Christ. James chapter 5, 19 and 20 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. And we say amen to that, right? We know that by experience. It seems painful rather than pleasant, but later the Word of God says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I hope you're seeing, I just want to lay this out before you here from the Word of God. This is not coming from me. This comes from Him that the truth of the matter is discipline is biblical. It's not only biblical, though, it is good. It is healthy for God's people. In fact... Church discipline, it is simply one part, a very vital part of the discipleship process in a Christ follower's life. The part where we we correct sin and we point that disciple toward God's path of life, warning them about the path that they're on leads to destruction. And so to be discipled is, among other things, to be disciplined. You cannot separate discipleship from discipline. To be discipled is to be disciplined. And a Christian is disciplined, yes, through the instruction of God's word by God's people, but also he is discipled through the correction of God's word by God's people. Now, in the scriptures here, there are really two ways to look at discipline, two kinds of discipline, biblically speaking. And I want to show you this. It's in your notes. And the first kind is what we, what Bible scholars call as, as formative discipline. Formative discipline, which is continual encouragement to turn from sin and walk with God. Formative discipline, just by the nature of the name, it seeks to, quote, form Christ-like character and conduct in our lives. This kind of discipline is everything the church does to help one another, to help its members, its congregation, to grow in Christ, to, to know Christ, to show Christ, to go with Christ. It's everything the church does to help its members to pursue holiness, and to fight sin. For example, when God's Word is taught in our discovery hour, all through the age-graded classes, when God's Word now, like in our worship service, is being preached, or when we encourage one another to apply God's Word in our grow groups, like many of us will tonight, or even when we meet someone over coffee to encourage them in the Lord, all of that comes under the umbrella of formative discipline. It's formative discipline. If you think about it, that means there is a sense in which every week, if not sometimes every day, as we we gather together on Sundays and as we gather with one another throughout the week, we are all here experiencing discipline. We are experiencing formative discipline. In fact, if you are a parent, formative discipline takes place in your home, or at least it ought to, every day with your kids. Every day, formative discipline is going on. 
Why? Because every day you are continually encouraging and exhorting them to not do wrong and to do right, and hopefully from a biblical perspective. And so we know this as parents intuitively. And this is what God is saying in the church as well. Every week, the people of God with the word of God through the spirit of God are encouraging us every week to follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. That's formative discipline. In fact, this is what we would call, what Jesus calls disciple making. This is disciple making. It's it's teaching one another to obey all that Jesus has commanded us and it's encouraging us in that process to turn from sin and to walk with God wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so every week, we are being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. How? Through formative discipline in the church. And so I hope you see that formative discipline is essential in the church. It is vital to one another's Christian lives. Because... God uses it to prevent the sin that now requires the second kind of discipline. And that is corrective discipline. Corrective discipline is this. It's corrective care when we are caught in sin and away from God. This is what Paul's getting at in Galatians 6.1. So corrective discipline is Galatians 6.1 in action now. It's where we practice Galatians 6.1. Corrective discipline is when we, we humbly point out sin in a fellow church member and we encourage them to repent of that sin and to pursue holiness, not in their own power, but in the power of God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the grace of Jesus Christ. It means correcting our brother or sister in Christ when they veer off the path of following Christ and as a result of hanging on to their sin. In fact, Jesus likens this to a shepherd seeking after a lost sheep when he says in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 13, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. Listen, The reality is that sometimes, as Christ followers, we we can be so blind to our own sins. We can even become so entangled in our sin that we cannot get free on our own. This is why Paul says what he does in Galatians 6, verse 1. Let me read it again. He says, brothers, in other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. who who say and should love one another, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, obviously, we're not talking about when somebody is just battling with sin. Listen, that's all of us all the time. So what we don't want, what Paul does not want, he's not getting at, he doesn't want all of us just being sin inspectors in people's lives. Okay, that's not the idea here. And I hope you see the tone in which Paul is talking about this. And in a minute, we'll look at what Jesus says. So we understand, as Christ Father, we all battle with sin. That's all of us all the time. But rather, Paul's talking about here is referring to when someone is walking in direct disobedience to God. It's not just one day, it's now... A week, it's two weeks, it's three weeks, it's a month. It's now becoming part of their life. They're caught in sin, in other words, and they are continuing in the sin, and now they need help. They need a rescue operation. They need someone to confront them about their sin and to exhort them to repent of their sin. And Paul says it's the responsibility of the church to love that brother or sister enough to go to him or her and say, listen, I love you. This is wrong. 
What you are doing is wrong. What you are participating in is wrong. Not according to me, but according to the Word of God. You claim to be a Christ follower. What's up? For your own spiritual well-being, I, I, I encourage you, I'm pleading with you, repent and turn back to the Lord. That's what love does. This process, it begins with personal one-on-one conversations. It begins with one-on-one conversations and warnings even. In fact, most corrective discipline, if not 95% of corrective discipline in the church, is, it is private and informal before it ever becomes public and formal. And the reason this kind of discipline is so important in the church is not because sin ruins churches. Sin doesn't ruin churches. It's unconfessed and unaddressed sin that ruins churches. As one author writes, Brad Hambrick, he says, church discipline is not about the size of a sin. But for the member's posture toward his or her sin. That is why this statement is made, hiding sin reveals that our commitment to our sin is greater than our commitment to Jesus Christ. So what exactly is church discipline? After all, that's the topic here. That's what we're talking about specifically, church discipline. So here's one way to define it or even to describe church discipline. It's in your notes coming up on the screen here. In a very broad sense, church discipline is correcting someone in sin. All right? Broadly speaking, that's what it is. And 95% of that happens privately and informally. The overwhelming majority of that takes place within the body of Christ privately and informally. So in a broad sense, that's what church discipline is. Correcting someone in sin. Just like as parents, we are correcting our children when they do wrong. And how do we do that? Lovingly, hopefully, but as parents, we don't do it perfectly, do we? Sometimes our anger gets the best of us. And so we know even in the church that doesn't happen perfectly. Now, in a narrow sense, which is how most of us tend to think of church discipline, it is removing someone from membership in the church and participation in the Lord's Supper for serious, verifiable, unrepentant sin. Sometimes this last stage of removing someone from membership is called uh, a term most of you have heard before, excommunication. Church discipline at this last stage is now the flip side of church membership. And remember at the very beginning of this series, I told you as we talk about church membership, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church discipline, that all four of these are interrelated and connected. And so now we have come full circle from our first message on church membership to now we are here in church discipline. And so church discipline at the very final stage is the flip side of church membership, where you are removing someone. You see, remember in the first sermon in the series, membership involves what? It's an affirmation. Membership is affirming a profession of faith that someone has or has made. It's affirming that publicly. We affirm this. They give credible evidence of a profession of faith, and we affirm that. Church discipline in its final stage means removing that affirmation. Why? Because that individual now continues to cling to their sin, not just one day, but over a course of time, cling to their sin instead of clinging to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, obviously, again, the church is not declaring at that point in time, in that final stage, with all certainty that someone is a non-believer. They're not a Christian to begin with. When it removes him or her from membership, why? Because the church doesn't have x-ray vision, doesn't have these x-ray eyes in which they can pierce and look into someone's heart. Church doesn't have that. 
Instead, the church is simply saying, listen, we can no longer publicly affirm your profession of faith. Listen, this particular sin that's in your life that you are hanging on to, you are unwilling to let go of and repent of, listen, it's verifiable and it is serious enough to undermine the credibility of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how serious is serious? Well, no doubt every situation requires the exercise of of careful judgment, right? As no two cases are alike. And we know, though, that some unrepentant sins, they make one's profession of faith in Christ simply not credible anymore. It's like you look at what they're involved in over a a course of time. You're like, they say they're a Christian, but it doesn't add up. It's unbelievable now. It's unbelievable that they are, what they profess to be, it doesn't match. That's reality. Some sins are like that. As Jonathan Lehman writes, a church probably shouldn't excommunicate a husband who selfishly eats all of the ice cream in the house in spite of his wife's tender objections. Purely hypothetical example, to be sure. And yet... It should take very serious a husband who abandons his wife. You see the difference. And ordinarily, when someone in this very final stage is removed from membership in the church, they are still welcome to attend the church's public gatherings, but he or she is now no longer counted as a member, and they are no longer invited to participate in the Lord's Supper. Hallway conversations after the service. Parking lot conversations after the service, even conversations during the week if you run into them, is not to be casual as usual, as if everything is okay in that person's life, because it's not. They should be marked with earnest calls to repentance. At the same time, please hear me here on this, church discipline, all all of it, whether in the broad sense or in the narrow sense, it is not about punishment, and it is not retributive. is not about retribution. So what's the goal when it comes to church discipline? What is the goal? Well, the goal is to encourage repentance of sin. Why? For the purpose of reconciliation or restoration. Now, in some ways, this means that church discipline is really nothing more than assessing one's repentance. It's all about assessing repentance in one's heart. And this, this shouldn't be surprising um, because we know that Christians sin, right? We all do. And so the question is, are we repenting? We know, as, even as, as redeemed Christ followers, we still battle with sin. We, we still have this human nature we, we, we deal with. And so we know we're going to battle with sin and even struggle with sin. That's a given. That's a reality. And so the question for every one of us here this morning is always, are we repenting of our sin? And church discipline in particular is really nothing more than about assessing repentance. This is what Paul is alluding to and talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so, so much of the wisdom that's needed in church discipline, whether in the corrective stage, which, which is... By far and away, the majority of church discipline, 95% of it, or in the narrow sense, when you're removing somebody, the wisdom that's needed all throughout the process is knowing how to distinguish worldly sorrow from godly sorrow. Now, we live in a culture where we, we see all the time worldly sorrow. Examples of it all the time. A celebrity or a politician gets caught in doing something, and what's the first thing they do? Uh, their spokesperson will write up a statement for them to put out on the media and on social media. And it's a statement of apology. That's worldly sorrow. 
that, that when they put that out in the statement, it's not leading to a change of heart and a change of life. You see, true repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of life. And, and our job, at, by the way, this is one of the key jobs as parents when it comes to discipling our kids and disciplining our kids is trying to determine our children and teens' hearts what kind of repent are they repenting? Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And we are asking God for his wisdom in discerning that. You see, this is always the key issue in all of our lives. Are we truly repenting when, not if, we sin? Now, let me just show you, allude to a couple of passages here by Jesus and Paul on church discipline. Notice, first of all, Jesus teaches us about the practice, or if you want to write even the process, of church discipline. And what's interesting here is Jesus raises the topic of church discipline here in Matthew 18 while teaching about how a good shepherd will lead the 99 sheep in the flock to pursue the one that has gone astray. That's the context. We already read that passage in verses 10 through 14. And now the question becomes, well, how do you pursue that one sheep that's gone astray? And Jesus tells us here in Matthew 18, look what he says beginning in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins, now in some of our translations it continues and says against you. Not all the manuscripts have that. It doesn't necessarily change the meaning, but it is interesting. So if your brother sins... Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is all about church discipline. It's all about winning a brother and sister in Christ back, not only to you, but first of all, winning them back to Jesus Christ. Why? Because sin divides. And winning them back only happens through repentance. And now we're seeking reconciliation. First of all, the God the Father, but also between one another. He goes on, he says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three wishes. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, again, as I said, we don't have time to get into the, the process here of church discipline which is what Jesus is talking about. He's telling us the steps, if you will. Step one, step two, step three, step four. In fact, there's four steps in this that he outlines for us. Here's what I want you to catch hold of, if I can make a few observations here from what Jesus teaches about church discipline. First of all, Jesus wants you to participate in the discipline of your church. To whom... Is Jesus talking in this passage? He's talking to you. He's assuming if you are a Christian and a church member, you. In other words, this is your job description. It's not just for the pastors of the church. This is not just me and Pastor Chris's job church discipline. But that's how normally, traditionally, we frame it and we think about it. This is a job for the whole church. I hope you see that in this passage. Second observation, Jesus wants the person who sins to do what? To repent. To repent of their sin so that there may be reconciliation. Because in particular, in this passage, and even after it, when when Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother in Christ? Jesus says 70 times 7, or 70, which means unlimited forgiveness. The issue here, sin divides relationships. It divides our relationship with God. It divides our relationship with one another. And the goal here, Jesus wants the sinning person to first and foremost always to repent of their sin. Why? For the purpose of reconciliation. So they can be restored and reconciled in a right relationship back to God and reconciled to one another in the church community. 
And then third, notice this. Jesus wants the number of people involved to remain as small as necessary for producing repentance. But he's also willing to take the matter to the whole church. So what we see here is church discipline. It begins with private corrections, private warnings, and it ends when a person repents of their sin or, if necessary, when they refuse to do so after extended amounts of grace and time when the church removes the unrepentant person from church membership. So Jesus teaches us about the practice here or the process Paul, it's interesting, he writes about the purpose of church discipline. Paul lays out here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in fact, I invite you to turn there, look at it with me. He lays out the sin in the Corinthian church here and his reaction to it in the very first verses, few verses here of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He writes in verses 1 and 2, notice it, look what he says. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are ignorant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So what's happening here, Paul is, is picking up where Jesus left off in Matthew 18, at the very end of it, end of the process. Step four, in other words. Paul's picking up there where Jesus ends here in chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul has already decided as an apostle of Jesus Christ that this individual in the Corinthian church, he is unrepentant in his heart. He is not willing to let go of this sin and turn back to Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls for his immediate removal from the church. But I want you to see here, that removal has a God-glorifying purpose. And that purpose is this. It's for the sake of the purity of the church and for the sake of that person's salvation. And we see this here. As an embassy of God's kingdom, the Corinthian church was now to declare that the man was not one of their citizens, but a citizen of the kingdom of Satan. And Paul says that the purpose of that, to remove and declare this about this unrepentant person, you see it in verse 5, is so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, you're removing him, and you're praying that when that happens, that he will come to his spiritual senses, that he will open up his heart, him mind, and he will see the nature of what's going on in his life and his need for Jesus Christ and to repent. That's what you're hoping for and praying for, and that is the purpose of it, is for the salvation of this individual. But Paul also talks about, we don't have time to look at it in detail here, the purity of the church. That's why he says remove, in fact, three different times in this passage here, in 1 Corinthians 5, three times Paul says remove. Remove. Why? For the sake of the purity of the church. Now, I know this is a lot so far. And so we can be, in our heads, convinced that church discipline is biblical. And I hope you are. I hope intellectually you see this in God's word, and you are convinced in your head that this is biblical. But we might still be afraid to follow the Bible's teaching because discipline, it just, it just feels unloving. The problem here, and I'll be the first to admit, even with me, I catch myself in this. We're so conditioned by the narrative of our culture. And this flies in the face of our culture. And so we are hearing and being bombarded by the messages of our culture of what love is. You allow somebody to do whatever they want. Love sets them free. Love allows them to be them. And so while we see this in God's Word, it's biblical. 
It feels unloving. So the question we need to answer is, is it truly, is it really, is this loving? And I want you to leave here knowing that church discipline is not only biblical, but it is loving. And if you are a parent here this morning, you have probably felt that thud in your gut, that ugh, when you realize it's now time to discipline one of your kids. Your precious little Cinderella flagrantly disobeyed you. Maybe she lied, maybe she nailed her little sister in the face, and now love requires you to do what? Look the other way, let it go. That's what our culture says. But true love, biblical love, requires you to discipline your precious little Cinderella. Listen to Proverbs. The wisdom book in the Bible says in Proverbs 3.12, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 13.24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 19.18, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. And so from God's perspective, the creator of our lives, the one who knows what's best for all humanity, from his perspective, love does what? It disciplines. Love always disciplines. In fact, what we find here in Proverbs is that failing to discipline our children is like hating them. It's forsaking hope for them. It's being a willing party to their death. And so love, from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, love does what every time? It disciplines. Now, obviously, Obviously, there are many wrong motivations for disciplining our kids, which I have been a part of those as a faulty human father. Lord knows I've had to go to my son Jack and Tyler and ask for forgiveness when anger has gotten the best of me. So we know that. We know wrong motivations for disciplining our kids. In fact, it can, uh, it can lead to terrible abuse in a home. Just as there are wrong motivations for discipline in the church, which has also led to abuse in the church. And yet, the one right motivation for discipline in the home, as well as the church, is love. The scriptures clearly connect discipline and love together. They never separate them. And so what we see here in the Bible is that discipline is motivated not only by love, but holiness. Notice, first of all, church discipline flows out of God's love. It flows out of God's love. God disciplines us because he loves us. The world denies this, but God's word declares it. Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves. So God does not regard love and discipline as being at odds with one another. He teaches that discipline is motivated by love. Revelation 13, 9 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Proverbs, I mean, Psalm 94, 12 says, Blessed is you, or blessed is the one you discipline, O Lord. So think about this biblical truth, which we, we say all the time, and it is true, God is love. That truth comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And so when people who, who claim to love God walk away from God, how do we love them? Listen, we love them most by correcting them and saying to them, no, 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 God is love. And so if you want love, you must return to God because you are walking away from the very essence of love, who is God. John says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is what love, for, 
This is what love for God is. It's to keep His commandments. It's to obey what He says. And these are not the words of a killjoy, as the culture would like to portray it, but the words of someone who knows that God's commands for us are good for us. Why? Because God is good. And that joy awaits those who walk in the ways of God. And so those who disobey God, those who oppose God, listen, they are running away from love. They are choosing something besides love, even if they call it love. And so if God is love, we love people how? We love them by encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. If God is love, we love people by correcting them then when they walk away from God. If God is love, we even love people by removing them from membership in the church when they insist after a gracious amount of time, gracious prayer for them, a lot of interaction or whatever the case may be as they might allow when they insist on clinging to sin instead of clinging to Jesus Christ. So church discipline, I hope you see, it flows out of God's love for his redeemed church, for his adopted family. Church discipline, though, number two, is based on God's holiness. It is based on God's holiness. Listen, God's love, and this this is what makes God's love so different from how the world thinks of love and characterizes love. Notice this, God's love is holy. God's love is holy. In fact, you cannot have God's love apart from God's holiness. And so God's love serves His holy purposes, and His holy purposes are always, always, always loving and good. You go back to Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 says, God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so church discipline begins with this assumption, and that is God is always better. God is always better. God is better than what he's created. God is better than the perversions of what we make his creation. God is better than everything. Therefore, nothing is better than being consecrated to God. That's what holiness is all about, is being set apart to God in his loving purposes for our lives. So pursuing discipline for the sake of love is pursuing it for the sake of holiness. You see, that means, here's the framework. To truly love someone is to want what's best for him or her. The tension comes, we think that best, we define it by our culture. And God says as Christ followers, no, we don't define it by our culture, we define best by God's word. And God's word shows us that God is always best. He is best for the person in sin. He is best for ourselves. He is best for our church. So true love does what? It disciplines because true love wants holiness for the people we love. Therefore, we discipline because we know how good God is. And a person's unrepentant sin It separates him or her from God's goodness, and we want that person to know and experience God's goodness. This is why the most loving thing we can do for one another here in LifeBridge is to share the responsibility for one another's holiness. As Mark Dever rightly says, church discipline is a loving provocative, attractive, distinct, respectful, gracious act of obedience and mercy, and that it helps to build a church that brings glory to God. And this relationship 
between God's love and God's holiness. It also helps us to understand the Bible's long-running theme of exclusion and exile. Let me just briefly show you this. Because here's what happens. We run to passages like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, and they don't, they, they, those passages don't offer us pictures of God doing something new or different. In other words, those passages present us simply a, a, a quick glimpse of what God has always done throughout human history. He has always removed sin from his holy presence. And what we see in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 is simply a glimpse of that in the church. Think about it. Go back to Genesis. What did God do with Adam and Eve after they sinned? He exiled them. He excluded them out of the Garden of Eden when they sinned. He excluded the fallen world from Noah's ark. He excluded the Canaanites from the promised land. He eventually even excluded his own people, the Israelites, from the promised land because of their unrepentant sin. And on the day when Christ returns, listen to me, folks, God promises to exclude everyone whose faith doesn't rest in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And yet, there is a glorious flip side to this. Even as God has excluded sin and excluded sinners from his holy presence, he has simultaneously drawn people to himself so they might display his holy love to the nations. Listen, as embassies of God's holy love, churches around the world are a picture of this. They are a start of this. And so, yes, in the final analysis, church discipline, it is tough. It is not easy to embrace and to participate in. It flies in the face of our culture. And yet, I hope you're beginning to see that church discipline is what? It is, first of all, what? Biblical, and number two, it is loving. In fact, it is one of the most biblical and loving ministries a church can participate in. Notice this in your notes here. Church discipline is a ministry of the whole church, and it works best in a culture marked by biblical truth and God's grace. And so church discipline is not just the pastor's job, but every member's job. It begins formatively, yes, in the pulpit with the preaching of God's word, correcting our false thinking and living. In this discipline, it continues as we speak God's word to one another after the service and into the week. Discipline works in our conversations with one another as we encourage each other and instruct one another and even warn one another according to God's word. And when we as church members, when we live this way, listen, the vast majority of discipline will never travel beyond two or three people. Listen, the body of Christ will be working as it should with each part building up the body in love, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. And by the grace of God, we here at LifeBridge, we will become a church that now displays the holy love of God for the very glory of God. You say, what's the takeaway for me personally? Here it is. Notice it. Build relationships with one another in the church. That's the takeaway. That's first. Instead of isolating, and in COVID, it has been so easy to do, Satan's attack on the church through COVID has been to pull away and to isolate. And now we've got to regroup against that mindset to build relationships with one another in the church that, so that you can know one another and they can know you. So invite people to know you. Encourage others in their walk with the Lord. Work to be the kind of person who is easy to correct. Instead of putting a wall of defense up. Instead of arguing, defending, 
Just keep your mouth shut and listen for the first 10 minutes. Be a kind of person who's easy to approach and to correct. It's called being teachable. And you will be better off for it. Our church will be much better off for it. All to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And yet we confess it goes against the grain of the way we think. And so we ask that you would transform our minds by the power of your spirit and by your grace that we would embrace this biblical and loving ministry of discipline in our church. Father, we want to be the church you designed us to be, and we believe this is for our good and for your glory. And God, we pray for those who may even now be living in unrepentant sin. We pray this would be a wake-up call for them to turn from sin and to Jesus Christ who offers us forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration through repentance of sin. Thank you for your love and grace, God, in Jesus Christ. Help us to love one another like this. Help us to share in the responsibility of one another's holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.